You could be finding that and turning to the book of 1 Kings and chapter 17. We're going to spend some time in 1 Kings chapter 17 in the Old Testament, which I'll read in just a moment. When the time comes, we're going to focus on verse 7 onwards, but just to get a little bit of the um, the build-up to the situation, I'm going to read from verse verse 1. So we're in 1 Kings chapter 17 and going to read from verse 1. Here we go. Now, Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there'll be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, leave here, turn eastward, and hide in the Kerith ravine, east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook, and I have ordered the ravens to feed you there. So he did what the Lord had told him. He went to the Kerith ravine, east of the Jordan, and stayed there. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. Some time later, the brook dried up because there'd been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, go at once to Zarephath of Sidon and stay there. I have commanded a widow in that place to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks He called to her and asked, Would you bring me a little water in a jar so that I may have a drink? As she was going to get it, he called, And bring me, please, a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread. Only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. Elijah said to her, Don't be afraid. Go home and do as you've said. But first, make a small cake of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me. And then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. The jar, uh, the jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord gives rain on the land. She went away and did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family and the jar of flour was not used up and the jug of oil did not run dry in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. We're considering uh, now this morning, how do we live by faith? What does it mean to live by faith? What lessons do we learn if, like Elijah, we want to be someone who lives by faith and lives by faith in a dark, a dark world, in a dark time? One Kings is fascinating. It's very much a a history of two halves 
or a book of two halves. At the outset of the book, King David is on the throne. Now, he's not a perfect man, but he's a good king. His heart was after the Lord. He's near the end of his reign, and it looks a bit iffy for a moment as to who is he going to pass the throne to, who's going to succeed him as king, but it goes to Solomon. And Solomon is God's choice, a man who asks for wisdom, and there's a real high time as, as Solomon brings about peace, seeks God for wisdom, builds the temple. The very first temple was built at Solomon's direction. And when that temple was completed and it was dedicated, there's a cloud of God's glory that comes down, interrupts all the proceedings and dwells in the temple. Kind of awe just strikes the whole community. Wow, God is in his house. The queen of Sheba, she's from far away, I don't know precisely where, she comes and she finds out what are these stories I've been hearing of. Hearing stories of Solomon's wisdom. Hearing stories of this glorious temple and the treasures of this rich kingdom that is enjoying prosperity and peace. It's all looking pretty good. However, it's a book of two halves. There's a turning point. David's, uh, Solomon's reign starts well. But he drifts away from the Lord. So God brings a verdict to him. At the time of his, the conclusion of his reign, God says of Solomon, he did evil in the eyes of God. He didn't devote himself to the Lord as David had done. He, he chased other pleasures and uh, turned away from God. And it starts a, a downward trend. It's almost like the riff... The repeated phrase of the whole book is, here's another king who did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And here's another king who did evil in the eyes of the Lord. There are a couple of kings who do good, who do what's right. But it's like they only really briefly arrest the decline of a once great nation. A great nation, united, enjoying peace, that turns away from the Lord and becomes a, a nation... Drifting into idolatry, worshipping other gods, turning away from the one true Lord, and drifting. When we get to 1 Kings chapter 17, it's in that sense, it's like a new low. Ahab is on the throne, and he is, uh, he does more, we're told, at the end of chapter 16, he does uh, more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than did all the kings of Israel before him. And so it's in a bleak time. It's in a time where idolatry is increasingly normal, where people are choosing to move away from God, uh, drifting away from him, forgetting him, forgetting his law, and pursuing other, uh, other worship, other gods, other ways of living. They're turning away from God. It's a time of, of fear where I suppose it's showing us, look, no human king is ever going to be all that we need. No human ruler can ever provide ultimate peace and security. 
They've had an amazing king and now God's people really are, they're waiting for God's king to come again. Now we know who he is. We know that one day Christ will come and he is God's king. Right here though, the times are dark and the people of God are waiting. One day that king will come. But right now, it looks pretty bleak. And then we see here the spotlight, or God's light, is put upon a man called Elijah. We don't know where he's come from. Well, we do. He's from Tishbe. But seemingly, without much introduction, suddenly he's on the scene. God puts a spotlight on him. So here's how to live by faith. Here's how to live by faith in dark times. Here's how to live by faith when we're waiting for God's king to come. Here's how to live by faith before the kingdom of God is fully made wonderfully glorious. Here's how to live by faith when other people are drifting away from God. Here's how to live by faith when we're in the minority. So how do we learn to live by faith in that situation? In uh, James chapter 5, Elijah is described in these ways. Elijah was a man... Just like us. James is putting the spotlight on his earnest and righteous and powerful prayers. But he's making the point, he's a man just like us. There are some extraordinary things that happen, but he's an ordinary man living by faith. I wonder if you have a particular hero of the faith, a particular hero of the, of the Old Testament. Maybe it is Elijah, maybe it is David, maybe it is Moses, maybe uh, it is someone else. A, a favourite character. Well, if you're going to have one, Elijah, pretty good. Pretty good going. But we're reminded here, however remarkable his particular circumstance, however extraordinary the events around him, he's an ordinary guy learning to believe God and follow him. So what do we learn from his example? What can we take from him? What does it mean for us to uh, be living by faith? Firstly, it means... Learning to rely on God. Elijah has pronounced that a drought is coming in verse, uh, verse 1 and 2 in the early part of chapter 17. God then tells him to go to the Kerith ravine. God has promised to supply him there with water to drink from the brook and food delivered by ravens. Unusual, you might say. And so as drought is taking hold of the nation, therefore crops are failing, food is in short supply, the economy is uh, is deteriorating, Elijah is tucked away experiencing God's provision, God's kind provision. Okay, it's a brook, it's not an absolutely uh, gushing river. And food delivered by ravens is a bit peculiar. But look, morning and evening, he's being fed. He's being supplied and drinking from the brook. It's it's hard. There'll be many people who are experiencing great hardship, but God provides for Elijah. Sometimes that's how God provides for us. There might be some action on our part, like go to Kerith. But essentially, it's right there in front of us. Landing in our laps. There it is again. The the ravens have come. Here it is. Wonderful provision. But then notice that Elijah isn't totally immune 
from the effects of this drought. Perhaps the ravens are continuing to make their twice daily drop off. But at some point, Elijah must have noticed this brook isn't gushing with water in quite the same way. It's a natural resource. The rains have stopped. So this brook isn't getting fed by the rain trickling down into it some, somehow. It's starting to dry up. Elijah has to notice that whilst he's there. That brook becomes a trickle and then the trickle stops. The brook dried up. So he watches it. Maybe he's thinking at this point, God, you said you would provide here. You promised there would be what I would need to survive. And it could have seemed that God had forgotten his promise. Is that what what is happening? No. The fact is that Elijah is being tested. And if we're to grow in faith, as God wants us to, it's not surprising that he will send tests. He will test our faith. Not to lead us into some dead-end scenario. There's no way forward at all but to help us to learn to rely on God. One wonders, has Elijah continued to trust God? Or has he begun to take for granted, well, there's always going to be these ravens coming, and this brick will always, this brook will always supply me with the water that I need. Perhaps for some of us here, we've been protected. We've been hidden away. We've experienced and known uh, God's provision. Didn't require much initiative on our part. Just really landed in our laps. Could have been walking into an ideal job. Just tailor-made. Could be having received a really generous financial anonymous gift. As sometimes... uh, might happen. Or it might just be that in terms of circumstance, for you, there's been a time of stability and peace. You kind of know what your situation is. You know where the next meal is coming from. You know what's going on. And then, just begin to be unsettled by seeing, ah, my hours are being cut. Or the bank balance is dwindling or actually there's been a redundancy and that's come to me could be to do with money could be to do with employment could be to do with other circumstances in life you've you've enjoyed a certain provision maybe that is social and practical you've enjoyed friendship you've enjoyed support you've got family and friends around you you've been used to God you're thankful to God for how he's provided in that sense but oh Circumstances change. People have moved on. It's not, it's not wrong. It's not untoward. It's just sometimes what happens. This situation that I'd enjoyed and it created some stability is now kind of running out. There's a, a time of change coming. If that's the case for you, don't be surprised. 
It's not unusual. That would be Elijah's testimony. God provided, but it, it wasn't always going to be in the same way. Why is that? Why can't we just hit some really magical, spiritual, sweet spot and stay there? Yeah, I've, I live by faith. I had to learn, like you, how to live by faith. And I came into this particular time, and now I just live in perpetual victory. Let me show you how. You know, that's, I joke, but kind of, that's sometimes what we might, the impression that we might get. It might be the path that we would quite like. Yeah, maybe whilst I'm young, I've got to learn to live by faith, and then it will just be gliding. Well, Elijah, the man of faith, experiences God's provision and sees it runs at, running out. Notice that God doesn't speak to him straight away. He watches it go. And then the word of the Lord comes. You see how God takes Elijah right up to the 11th hour. What's next, Lord? You haven't spoken. What, what's going on? I don't know. Can I trust? Yes, we can trust him. He does it. Not to lead us into a dead end, but to teach us to rely on him. That's uh, Elijah's testimony. We could see that it's also um, Paul's testimony. If you were to turn to 2 Corinthians and chapter 1, verse 8, we read him uh, saying this. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, our heart, in our hearts we felt the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Why is this happening, Lord? Why are you, have, why are you taking me through this challenge? This is not my preference. I thought you'd promised to provide in this place. And it seems to be running out. What's going on? I'm just teaching you to rely on me. I'm teaching you to put your faith in me rather than in the ravens. Rather than in, rather than in the job. Rather than in the circumstance. Rather than in the bank balance. Rather than in this network of support that you might have around you. God doesn't take things away to be cruel, but to test and to strengthen. To to help us develop in faith. You read on in 1 Kings and you see what else will Elijah go into? Where else will he need to exercise faith? Well, he's learning lessons here that will stand him instead for what God has planned in the future. God's not forgotten. Now, maybe, maybe Elijah's every inclination on the inside was to panic, to think, I better scramble out of that ravine and go in search of my own solutions because God's promises have failed. But if there were that impulse on the inside, notice he doesn't move on until God speaks. He's learning to trust in him. He's learning to rely on God. And sometimes when what we have had has been taken away, we learn to appreciate even more what we do have in the word of God. We turn to him again. We turn to him afresh. We find in here fuel for our prayer life and coming before him 
in private. It's what Elijah is doing. Learning to rely on God. Learning to press through in prayer. Learning to appreciate, oh God, I need your word. In the mid-90s, there was a revival uh, in Pensacola in the United States. Many people uh, coming to coming to faith. Uh, quite a remarkable time. And uh, one of the hallmarks or what, one, something that church became known for was its worship. And there was a particular song that Lyndall Cooley, everyone remember Lyndall Cooley? Showing our age, aren't we? Um, a particular song that I remember listening to him and I won't, it would be cheesy by today's standards. Um, the, the line of the song was, I need you more. I need you more than yesterday. It's like, yesterday I faced maybe certain challenges. Actually, they were to prepare me to believe God today and into the future. And really what matters is my response to you, God, right now. So actually... It's true all the time to say, Lord, I need you more now than I did yesterday. You provided then. You, you led me through. You took care of us, Lord. Right now, I need to learn to step into faith and walk in faith in this challenge, in this moment. So learning to rely on God. That's what Elijah is doing. And as this situation develops, we see that he's also learning, continuing to learn, to obey God. By faith to be obedient. He stays put until the word of the Lord comes to him in verse 8. Then in verse 9, God speaks, Go at once to Zarephath of Sidon and stay there. I have commanded a widow in that place to supply you with food. Thank goodness the Lord has spoken. The Lord has given clear direction again. But in what God says, I believe there would be a few surprises or perhaps a few unpleasant words in the mix of it. What did the Lord say? Go to Zarephath. Well, that's about 75 miles away for start. So he's got a bit of a journey in front of him. What else? The word Zarephath or the name for that place derives from a word that means crucible. Quite appropriate in the steel city. A crucible is a pot or a place where metals are superheated up so that the impurities in that metal can be uh, taken out. They come to the surface. They can be scraped off. The metal is refined. It can then be poured into a mold and set for a, a new purpose. So God is saying, move on to Zarephath. Move on to another place where you're going to get tested. Move on to another place of refining. Oh, I thought that was done. Now there's, there's more. He's going to be tested further in Zarephath, which is in Sidon. This is not Israel. He was called to travel outside of his own nation's borders. He would experience what it's like to be the stranger who others can tell. You're not from around these parts, are you? He, he would go into another nation, a place where perhaps he wouldn't have chosen to go, 
And this is it's Gentile territory. Not only that, it's, it's Jezebel's homeland. And, and if we look at the end of uh, chapter 16, in noticing that King Ahab's reign was really a new low point in the history of the nation up until then, Jezebel is a significant factor as to why that was the case. At chapter 16, uh, verse 30, we read, Ahab, son of Omri, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. He not only considered it trivial to commit the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, but he also married Jezebel, daughter of Ephbal, king of the Sidonians, and began to serve Baal and worship him. He set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal that he built in Samaria. So he makes this treaty, this deal with the Sidonians by marrying the king's daughter Jezebel and her influence is to uh, encourage Ahab and the nation into more and more idolatry by worshipping a fertility god called Baal. She also has her way with killing many of God's prophets and uh, you can read about it in other chapters of 1 Kings. So, Elijah is being told, go to her territory. Go to Baal's land. This is an uncomfortable time. Not only is he told that, but also what could have been a little bit of a, a surprise... Before he's commanded the ravens, they'll supply you with food. Now it's, I have commanded a widow. Well, he's bringing a promise, but what does the promise mean? I've commanded a widow. This might not have sounded very promising. In that widows would likely have been the poorest of the poor in that society at that time. We've seen before in the Old Testament, God's concern in his law that widows be cared for because they were vulnerable. They weren't supported. Now their husband has passed away. But this is outside Israel. This is not where the law of the Lord is regarded at all. And by now, under Ahab's rule, maybe it isn't back in Israel anyway, but it certainly certainly isn't in Sidon. She is not likely to be in a position to supply Elijah with five-star luxury. I've commanded a widow. Really? How's this going to work out? But whatever misgivings Elijah had, he obeyed God and went. In verse 10, he went to Zarephath. He obeys God. He's learning to say that. I've trust, I trusted God in Kerith at this ravine with the ravens coming and the brook flowing. I'm now going to trust God and obey his direction. I'm going to listen to his word. Even when the word of God is instructing me to do something that doesn't appeal to my, my natural appetites and desires, I, that's where I'm living my life. I'm choosing to trust God. I believe it's better to go God's way than to kick against him and try, and to, try to look for something that might be more comfortable. Why? Well, the word of the Lord has come, and that's what I'm trusting. That's what I'm relying on. I'm believing him. And maybe there was some pride to be dealt with. You're going to be dependent, Elijah, 
on someone from another nation who's really, really poor. She will look after you. Okay, Lord, I'm on my way. I'm trusting you. He wasn't going to allow pride to knock him off track. This shows us too that God has a bigger picture, a bigger plan. God has a plan to provide for Elijah. God has a plan to bless this widow. And Jesus would be talking about this situation hundreds of years later. When he was uh, teaching in a synagogue in Luke chapter 4 and verse 25 He reminds those who are listening to him on that day, I assure you, there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. Why is that significant? Well, Jesus is trying to to teach and to, to reveal to the people he's talking to, look, God's never just been solely interested in our nation. God's never been solely interested in people like us. God's never just been solely interested in those who are near to the kingdom, but actually those who are outside, those who are miles away. Those with a totally different story and a, and a personal history. And It's in that sense that God's come to us. We, like the widow, were miles away from God. We, like the widow, were in desperate need, living in darkness, perhaps under the influence of spirits that operate like Jezebel. There's kind of control and fear and manipulation, and we've not got the power to... To shift out of that kingdom, but somebody comes, somebody came to us. We heard the good news. Christianity is not white and western, but thank God it's come to this island. Miles away from God, but because of Elijah's obedience, we get a glimpse here of God's heart and God's desire and God's plans and God's ability to provide in remarkable ways. Thirdly, how else do we see Elijah learning to live by faith? Well, we see him learning not only to obey God, but also proactively to work with God. What do I mean? Well, he obeys the instruction, go to Zarephath. So, he went. What else did God say to do? God didn't give other instructions. He said, go to Zarephath, there's a widow there who will provide for you. So now that he's there, he's learning to take steps of faith on the basis of what God has said and what God has promised. So what does he do? Well, first, he sees a widow gathering sticks. Right, he acts on the assumption, she's the widow that God's spoken to me about. So I'm going to go and talk to her. What does he say? He asks her for water. It's like an easy in. Just 
testing the water. He's not going the whole hog straight away, just politely, respectfully taking another step. Would you mind giving me some water? She responds positively, and so he makes another request. Could you give me a a piece of bread? A morsel? He's not asking for a loaf. He's not asking for the whole shop. He's not asking for a three-course meal. Would you give me a piece of bread? Step at a time. He doesn't blunder in straight away and says, Thus says the Lord, you're a widow, come here and provide me with everything I need. It's like, no, it's a gentle, respectful way in. But asking for bread gets a reaction. What does she say? As surely as the Lord your God lives. Well, that's not a bad start, is it? That's what Elijah would say. As surely as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, there'll be a drought. Well, she's saying something similar. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread. Oh, this really isn't looking that promising. Only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. She doesn't have much at all. She's a widow. She's bound to be desperate. But this really is desperate. She has nothing stored away. She has no cupboard to turn to where she can pull out all the bread that she, that's already been provided and baked. Her resources, that which she does have, is tiny. It's meager. That won't stretch at all. I'm gathering a few sticks. Well, what, what, what sort of fire are you going to make with a few sticks? Everything is looking a bit bleak at this point. To take home and make a meal for myself and my son. Oh, I didn't realize she already has someone who's dependent on her. She has a son. Right, well that changes things a little bit. I'm gathering a few sticks to to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Oh, wow. You could guess it would be bleak, but this really is not looking positive at all. In earthly appearances, or naturally, the situation that's presented to Elijah, there's, there are no, there's no cause for hope in that. There's, there's nothing that looks promising. It's not really anything much to work with. Are you sure, Lord, this is your plan? How would you respond at that point? Finding out that she really has next to nothing. Finding out that she has a son. And finding out that she's expecting to die quite soon. I'm so sorry. I just saw you gathering sticks. I I thought maybe I could make... The request, but it's fine. I can see you've got enough to be dealing with. Um, I'll pray for you, and I'll go look for another widow. It's a town. There, there, maybe there's another widow. She's she's just the first person I saw. So I, I just tried it out, tested the water, did what I could. Obviously, now I just need to tiptoe out of the situation. Take a step back, Elijah. Retreat. So is Elijah completely out of order in what he says next? 
don't be afraid. It's easy for you to say, or maybe it isn't. Anyway, go home and do as you've said, but first, make a small cake of bread for me. And from what you have, and bring it to me. Oh, what are you saying to this poor woman? Who do you think you are, Elijah? Now, we Christians, or those of us who are Christians, we can be a little bit worried sometimes about causing offense. And it's important, like Elijah, in initiating a conversation with somebody who's maybe far away from God, that we're polite. That we're respectful. That we kind of just test the water and get the conversation started. Maybe on the basis of something that's quite mundane. Can I have a drink please? Does that remind you of anybody? Jesus sitting down at a well. Seeing a woman from Samaria. And saying, can I have a drink? And the conversation develops from there. To the point where she's recognizing. Here's a man who's told me everything I... uh, told me so much, God's at work. And maybe then for us, learning to live by faith, taking proactive steps in obedience and in recognition of what God has said. There'll be these little moments where, oh, we could just shrink back. We could just say, oh, okay, I've, I've got it wrong. I'll, I'll go away. But maybe that's the point to probe or to go a little bit further. Now, it, it sounds shocking, but notice what he is doing. He's learning to take God at his word. God, I trust you and what you've said more than I trust the circumstance I find myself in. I'm going to believe you when the resources are really meager. And I'm going to believe you to bless this woman in what takes place because you've promised there's a widow in Zarephath who's going to provide God's been teaching him so this isn't some horrifically uh, tactless moment notice what God did first with Elijah clear instruction that didn't sound that appealing go to Zarephath but then it was on the basis of a promise I've commanded a widow, she'll supply you with something to eat and drink. And that promise is what invites Elijah to a response of faith. Yes, I'm going. Yes, I believe you, God. Yes, I'm relying on you. Yes, I'm trusting in you. You can imagine that Elijah is not told how everything will work out. He doesn't know exactly how this is going to unfold. But what he does know is that God has told him to go to Zarephath and this widow will provide for him. Doesn't know the details. Doesn't have this neatly mapped out encounter. He's just going to have to go. So he does and he obeys. Now notice what Elijah does when Elijah speaks to the widow. God spoke to Elijah. Now Elijah is speaking to the widow. What does Elijah do? He gives a clear instruction or request which might not have seemed that appealing to her but also 
he gives that instruction on the basis of a, of a promise. He prophesies what the Lord will do in verse 14. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, the jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord gives rain on the land. Clear instruction or clear request, but it comes with a promise that he's speaking from God. This is what God's done to him, and now he's learning to work with God as he speaks with this widow. Now she is invited to make a response of faith. Miles away from God, you might think. But she's heard something. She knows a little bit. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied in the first place. And maybe that was just enough to trigger Elijah. Yes, she's the one. There's something here. There's not naturally... This doesn't look very promising. Naturally, there aren't many resources here, but God is at work. And so he prophesies what the Lord will do, and the result that follows is she makes the response of faith. She chooses to believe. I suppose, perhaps, if she was considering death after this next meal, she didn't have a great deal to lose. But anyway, she she goes for it. And verse 15, she, she went away and did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and for her family, for the, the jar of oil was not used up and the jug of, uh, sorry, the jar of flour was not used up and the jug of oil did not run dry, in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. God is faithful. God is true to his word. God knows how to provide. God can do that in any number of different ways. And God doesn't just default to precisely the same way of doing everything every time to suit our comfort. He's, pre- he's teaching us. He's telling us, come on, press on, press on. You've known me in the past. You've seen what I can do. Now believe me again in a different scenario, in a totally different situation. I am with you. I'm going to provide for you. This shines so brightly at a time in this nation when things were so bleak. Do we live in in a united kingdom? I'm not so sure. Do we live in a godly kingdom? I'm not so sure. What's the trajectory? Are people coming closer to God or are they going further away from God? I don't really know. But we we can kind of go down the world's agenda or the world's feeling of just being scared, living in fear, Living with a lot of worry. Maybe also we're caused, our, our eyes are turned by effectively other gods, other ways of living. Haven't forgotten God entirely, but he, he's far away. We're waiting for the king to come. And yet, yeah, well, we pray that one day he will. He will. But in, in the meantime, what are we doing? Are we, are we growing and learning to fear? Or are growing and learning to live by faith? What the world needs is a, a church shining brightly with faith in an almighty God who doesn't forget his promises and who's given us his wonderful word. We don't want to settle for a version of faith where really circumstance finance, human resources, what we've got in the bank balance, always overrides 
our decisions. If that were the case, we'll never see this exciting dynamic. I believe we have seen this exciting dynamic. I believe God is preparing us for more. Let's give thanks for everything in the past, but let's press on into the future of what God is doing in our lives, in your lives. Perhaps you're not typically here on uh, on a Sunday morning. Perhaps you're not normally in Sheffield. Maybe you're not normally in a church. But God is getting your attention today and saying, look, like Elijah, like that widow who was desperate, yeah, the whole scenario was, was so challenging. So I can't see a way through. What are you going to do? Are you going to put your trust in God? Are you going to take a step of faith? Are you going to come nearer to him? Maybe he's coming right up to you today, tapping you on the shoulder, saying, as surely as I live, (laughs) I know how to lead you. I know how to guide you. I know how to provide for you. I know how bleak the situation is. But I know what I can do. Are you going to come to me? Are you going to make that response of faith? Do you have a hero in the Old Testament? Do you have a, a, a Bible hero? Sometimes we can read passages like this and think, yes, Elijah, the hero of faith. Wow, look at the way in which the word of God came to him. I wonder how it came. Was it a vision? Was it a dream? Was it red letters in the sky? Was it a strange feeling? Was it the audible voice of God? Does it matter? The word of God came to him and he responded. The word of God knows how to communicate. God wants to talk to us. He wants us to hear what he has to say. There's a lot of pages that go to show that and the work of his spirit amongst God's people this morning that goes to evidence it as well. God's here. God wants to speak. God wants to get our attention. How are we going to respond? We could look at this and think, well, that's, that's Elijah, the extraordinary man of God. The word of God just doesn't come to me in that way. My faith isn't like that. I can't glide in the situation. We don't know if Elijah was gliding through the situation or a nervous wreck, but he chose faith. He chose to believe God. James says he was an ordinary man just like us. But he'd learnt to live. By faith, he'd learnt to believe. Living by faith is not God's call to a few unusual Christians who are, by personality, disposed to take lots of risks. Or give up work and just trust that the ravens are going to bring a paycheck. You know, living by faith is not unusual for the people of God. It's what we're all called to do in a whole variety of ways. Sometimes it might look quite mundane. It's an amazing miracle, but in a sense it might have looked quite mundane. Every day they went back to the flower. Every day they went back to the jar. And the oil they'd taken out last time was there again. It wasn't that God gave them one massive huge surplus in a massive storehouse. Just every day you'll have what you need. Every day you'll have what you need. How did Jesus teach us how to pray? Give us today our daily bread. Lord, you know what today involves. I trust you for today. 
I trust you with my life. I trust you with these meager resources. Goodness me. It's still there. I can take the flour. I can take the oil again. God knows how to provide when we don't have anything. What's he doing? Look, we could put our faith in some massive stockpile. If that's how God chose to operate. You have got a million pounds. That's for the next three years. Oh God, you're so good. But this would show us, I'm not quite sure that God often works in that way. Does God set us up so we know what every day will be like for the next three and a half years? We know. No. God can provide in ways that then essentially look quite mundane. But in the process, we are learning to prove that God is faithful. And God knows how to provide. And God knows what he's doing with us. God knows what he's doing with your life. God knows where he's leading you next. God knows everything about you. And he is not and never will lead you down a dead end. That's it. One more meal. Gone. We thought God would be faithful. We thought God had promised. Let's be a people determining to live by faith. It's not unusual. These, these aren't here to hold up to us amazing examples that are just beyond us. Well, he was extraordinary and I'm ordinary. So... Who is your hero? I see in this passage one hero and I see two people. I see two people learning to live by faith. Because I see Elijah and I see a widow. What are they both doing? They're both learning to live by faith. So who is the hero of the story? Is it not God? You read through the chapter... Time and time again, the word of the Lord came. The word of the Lord came. At just the right time, the word of the Lord came. When we're unclear of the next step and the new direction, the word of the Lord came. What's our greatest blessing? The word of the Lord. How does God provide for us right here? The word of the Lord. What do we do with it? Believe it. Trust it. And take steps on the basis of what it said. Now that will lead us into adventures. That will lead us into crazy things. That will lead us into things that don't look reasonable. That will lead us into things where other Christians might say, Who do you think you are? Aren't you being a bit offensive to them? No, I'm living by faith and I'm inviting them into faith as well. Rather than just live this very apologetic Christian life. Oh, I'm so sorry. Forget I was here. I'll go somewhere else now. That's not what we're called to. We're called to be a people of faith, whether we're in the minority or not. Whether we're in a comfortable zone or in what might feel like enemy territory. Goodness me. I'm in Sidon. I'm in Zarephath. I'm in Jezebel country. Ah, I'm trusting God wherever I am. And whether I'm by myself or with thousands of believers, I want to demonstrate what it is to live by faith in a faithful God.